Tiggy, it's season two. A couple of things. I think I should go first when we do the opening, just to no, mix it no, up. No, we've talked about this, Nathan. No, I don't. Well, you know what? How about if I get your name right? Deal. Okay, here we go. Hello, and welcome to episode number nine, season two premiere of the Admissions Director's Lunchcast. I'm your host, Nathan Ament, Chief Enrollment Officer at Loyola University, New Orleans, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Tej Matil, Vice President for Enrollment at Carroll University. Tej, how are you? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? Tiggy, I am great, since today we're discussing the student decision path, and we've got some great guests, as always, to help us out. Tej, do you think we need to remind folks about how the Lunchcast works since, you know, we've been on summer hiatus? You know, it can't hurt just in case they haven't studied the text. Each week, Nathan and I, along with our guests, one influencer and one practitioner, will discuss a topic that is directly related to recruitment and admission. Our hope is that by the end of your lunch hour, you, the listener, will have a good enough handle on the topic that you can implement tactics quickly, maybe even this afternoon. So who will be joining us this week to discuss the student decision path? This week, as our influencer guest, we have Sonia Ryan, Director of College Counseling at Justin Siena High School in Napa, California. And our practitioner guest, we have Pamela Johnson of Pamela Johnson Consulting in St. Paul, Minnesota. Tiggy, I'm excited as always. So let's get started. It's Tej. Teej, here we go. Episode number nine, season two of the LaunchCast. Uh, I'm really excited to start kickoff season two, but I just want to say quickly thank you to everybody who sent us such nice notes about season one. That's what kept us going and got us recording here over the summer for season two. Um, Teej, let's talk a little bit about the episode today, the student decision path. This yeah. when you first when you first told me about this, uh, I was I questioned it a little bit. I'm not going to lie. And you had to explain it to me. So why don't you tell me just a little bit about um, what this means, the student decision path and, and how we set up our guests today? Yeah, it came to me as really as a kind of a outgrowth of a conversation I regularly had with one of my mentors in college admission, Lee Johnson of Minnesota who would regularly talk about the need to focus admissions counselors on where a student was in their decision path, that the same questions that they're asking in October mean something different when they ask similar questions in December and again in April based on where they are at. And that from the questions they're asking, you can start to get a sense of how interested the student is in your college and how far along they are in their own individual timeline. And I wanted us to get a couple of guests to, to help understand that. Um, and I think we, we knocked it out of the park on these ones. Uh, humbly, I think that. 
Right. Well, I think this is a good good way to kick off season two. Um, both the guests we have this week, Sonia and Pam, are coming from two completely different perspectives, but both are focused on the student. And the questions that we sent them ahead of time when you and I were talking about this um, are trying to not only see how we're interested to see how the students um, behave, but also I think this is going to become a theme for season two, how the parents behave and how they mm-hmm. interact with the parents. So um, I'm really excited to ask them these questions and hear from both their perspectives. These are two heavy hitters as well. I'm gonna, I'm not going to lie. When we were doing yeah. some research on their bios and the experiences they have, um, Sonia's up for election for um, president-elect of NACAC. Um, Pam's been around the business for a very long time, and I consider her one of my mentors. She's helped me out at Loyola and other institutions. So um, I think, listener, you're going to be in for a treat here for episode number nine. You know, along those lines, Nathan, we've got great guests all along. All of them are focused on what admissions directors need to think about and talk about. Uh, but Pam specifically is one session that I know I want to play for the admissions counselors on my team. And I would really recommend anyone listening to really take a critical ear towards what Pam is talking about and consider working it into your own uh, mid-cycle training. I would agree. I would agree. So we're going to let you listen to this and then maybe we'll discuss it a little bit on the other side as always. So here's our conversations with Sonia Ryan and Pamela Johnson. As always, we hope you enjoy these discussions and we'll see you on the other side. Well, Nathan, I am really excited for this season's first guest uh, joining us to talk through the student decision process. Uh, We're joined here by Sonia Ryan, who is actually in the uh, President's Council of NACAC with me. We served as president of our WACACs at the same time. Uh, Sonia, welcome to the LunchCast. Thanks for having me, Tegan, Nathan. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about the journey to your current role? Sure. Sonia Ryan, Director of College Counseling at Justin Sienna High School in Napa, California. And uh, I joined the Justin Sienna community last year. What a year to make a transition, but such a welcoming and warm community. And it was actually going home. I'm from Napa, so it was um, lots of familiar faces. And my two children are students there. So that was really fun to be on campus well, when we were able to with my two kids. Prior to that, I spent the last decade in the Bay Area, in the East Bay at St. Mary's College High School in Berkeley and um, had a great experience there. And then leading up to that, I was a public high school counselor for a decade. So my whole career has been on the high school side. I did a short stint of being an adjunct counselor at a community college, which was incredibly, such a great learning experience. I got to teach a class as well as counsel athletes. So I got a lot of good information about the NCAA and and kind of that path. Um, And I'm just so happy to be continuing 
in the high school setting. I love this transition period of seniors going into higher ed or seniors kind of doing post-grad, you know, goals. And it's just a thrill. I, I can't believe I'm going to be starting my 22nd year in August. That's great. And not to, not to hype you up too much, but you're currently a candidate for president-elect of NACAC this year. Is that correct? I am. I'm thrilled to be on the slate. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the, the questions. We've got a few to, to pepper you with. The first one I, I would like to talk through a little bit. As we go through the the college search process, the the cycle, students seem to focus on different things at different times. Can you walk us through the process from your perspective, kind of start to finish with what a student is paying attention to along the way? Sure. Um, you know, at St. Mary's and at Justin Siena, we're a La- we're a Lasallian community, and so. I mentioned that because freshmen walk into the campus getting to learn kind of college language. They, they know they're at a college prep high school or, you know, they've had previous conversations with friends or family about college. But we, we try to mirror the path of what colleges would do for an incoming freshman as well. We have orientations. We we talk about the community of their high school experience. Um, we help them get familiar with programming on campus, whether it's clubs or organizations, to try to build their interest. Some students will know exactly what they're interested in, and others really have that discovery during high school, whether it's joining a club or, you know, doing a auditioning for theater, um, we start to discuss academic interest. And then in the junior year, we kind of do a little bit more depth, a lot more depth actually, in what their curriculum, course curriculum, and how that might be related to colleges they might be interested in. In the junior year, we really take a deep dive into taking the student's interest and helping them look at colleges that can expand on those ideas. What what would a campus feel look like for them? How is it different or the same to what high school has been? And and what are they looking forward to that will be different? Um, We encourage students, we host college fairs. We encourage them to attend college fairs, to start having those dynamic conversations uh, with college representatives, and we actually kind of do mock uh, interviews or, or mock Q&A of what kinds of questions to ask. It's just such a bigger picture to them, and we try to break it down so that it doesn't feel like a tidal wave um, all at once. We do a, an incredible parent education series because, well, I know that it's been decades since I've applied to college, and we have to remind parents about that. So we, we're definitely supporting the student, but we're also supporting the parent. And then, in, you know, by the end of junior year, we have worked together to form a college list that's balanced, that meets their interest, that's a good fit academically, socially, the community. And we ask parents to embrace the decision by signing off on the list. So that means mm. parents have had a conversation with the student. We've had a conversation in a, in a small group. 
And once everybody kind of has signed off and given the blessing of the list, then we move forward with applications and getting the details of the applications going. So you talked a little bit about how the parents are involved and it sounds like you got two separate parent series in there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had all the time in the world <laughs> and, right. you know, and, and endless resources or whatever else, is there maybe one thing that, um, or one other part of the process that you would involve um, the parents um, and, or maybe a slightly follow-up question to that one. Um, where do you see the parents more engaged in your process? Do you see parents more engaged in the, in the earlier part when you're helping the students craft their list, or do you see them engaged more um, in the springtime when the students are trying to make their decision? That's a great question. I feel like at the beginning, they're involved at the very beginning. They mm-hmm. want, you know, they want to know in one counseling session, everything. <laughs> right. Like, Okay, we you set up a thirty minute appointment. It's gonna, you know, uh, this is not gonna include everything. But they're involved in the very beginning. I think once they see the ball rolling for their student, and I often say to students, we I have to help them understand how to communicate with their parents. I'm a parent. We'll ask a million questions in five seconds, and students will kind of just, you know, with the deer and uh, eyes look at you like, wow, I'm supposed to answer all of those. So I I coach the students to try to give pieces of information along the way where parents can sit back and think, oh, Sonia is really, you know, she's on task. She's organized. She met with her college counselor today. Every time a student meets with me, I always say, please let your parents know we met today. They will be so relieved and knowing that you're following through. So I get a real rush of parents at the beginning, uh, which is great. I have parent meetings, but then I kind of see them back again during financial aid night. And then in the spring when it's decision time, you know, we have X amount of schools that, you know, our student has been accepted to. We're going to go back and revisit um, and some questions about that. So they're, it's spotty, um, you know, and every now and then I'll have a parent that wants to just ride the whole wave all the way through, which is nice too. Um, but I think it's a time where I parents can really, they're excited about their student taking this on and it shows the independency and it shows, you know, that they're ready to be their own advocate. And as a parent myself, that's that's what I hope for, for my own children, that they're their own advocates, that I've given them all the tools. They're going to make a decision where they're going to thrive academically and socially. And, and don't we want that for our, our children, you know? Oh, yeah, 100%. I'm going to go slightly off book here just with a follow-up question um, involving the parents. And you mentioned at the at the top of the interview here that you have a uh, you know your school that you're at right now is college prep focused, right? And um, and it starts fairly early. In your conversations with some of your colleagues on the school counselor side that are maybe at um, a different type of school, you know, they're maybe at a large public institution with a large caseload or whatever else. Um, if you could pull out one piece of your process that you described about um, how to reach the parents or what was the most critical point that they could focus on. Because you know, some school counselors at those institutions are not 
Um, they don't have all the time in the world. They don't have, you know, all the resources and they're just trying to do something here. Um, what would be your advice to those school counselors that are at, uh, that are at these large, large public high schools? I, re I remember as a, as a former public high school counselor myself with a caseload of 750 to one. Right, right. <laughs> and I was in a large district as well. Um, here's something that I did then and I did this last year, this COVID year, is I reached out to the schools within my community and we collaborated together to host different events, evening events. This year we did them all virtually. It was such a nice way to pull resources together um, sure. and provide a college night together to provide, we have a coffee, uh, coffee with the college counselor together where we invited parents um, for a Q&A and we invited them to give us questions beforehand, but we also gave some time for Q&A at those sessions. I, I would encourage public high school counselors to um, collaborate with one another and pull together your resources so that you can provide, you know, kind of similar conversations or um, evening events where families can come together, whether it's virtually or in person. I know in person now is a little bit different, which is why we had such a great uh, attendance at our virtual events because, you know, more people could attend. I think that maybe couldn't have in the past from their schedules. Um, the other thing I would in encourage larger public high schools to do um, is to involve the, their, the senior class, the students in doing like a newsletter or something. We, I'm trying to think this year we included a college counseling chat, which provided some Q and A. Um, it was a newsletter that went out about once a month and it went just to the parents. And we were able to track to see if parents opened it as well. But we found that parents, because we were not together and in person, it was a source of a tool that the parents used um, to kind of know what was going on at different times. And I know that, you know, there might be somebody at that school that can take that on. I know I had a colleague in our office that took that on, but we really tried to do as much outreach to the parents as possible. Um, so those are the two main things that I thought reached a larger crowd was our college counseling chat newsletter and then kind of getting together with other members of the district who host evening events, virtual college fairs, case studies for parents to attend. So that again, they were being part of the process and not so much out of the loop. Um, and when we did that, A, I was building relationships with my local public schools. Um, and B, we, you know, we were helping each other because not all the public high schools, they were more, remote than we were in the end. They continued to be remote for the rest of the year. Um, my school was able to go back hybrid, but we were still offering services um, in a remote way, in a virtual way that all families had access to. 
Sonia, one of the things I've always tried to train admissions counselors on is to read students and the questions they're asking to get a sense of where they are in the decision process. You talked about at the end of the, the cycle, kind of as they're making the final decision, they might go back to two or three remaining colleges. Mm-hmm. Are they are they focused on different things at that point? I, I always joke that if they if students are asking how long the beds are, that we're yeah. we're in the top we're in the top two, right? But are there other cues from your experiences that we might want to pay attention to? Uh, that's a great question. How long the beds are. Um you know, it's interesting because from the fall when they applied to the spring, it's often, I'm shocked oftentimes how many schools are not in their top choice. Um, whether it was because, you know, I'm they applied to a school that they didn't get enough information about, um, or maybe they visited over the break and now they've had more experience at that school. I... I don't have a specific thing that students have come back and said. Um, Location is, I guess, the biggest one. How far did they think they wanted to go back in spring of junior year and now how far they really want to go spring of senior year? Um, Yeah, I would say location is probably the biggest one. They they started, you know, 3,000 miles away and now they're looking a little bit closer to home. Program, really making sure program is available that either they get to declare, you know, or define that early on. Well, Sonia, this has been fantastic. We really appreciate you taking time to talk with us, to talk with our listeners about the the process you go through with your students and, and specifically with your parents. Uh, as you are looking ahead, can you talk to folks about um, what what's coming next for you? What are you working on? And if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? This year, we're trying to be innovative on our programming in our college counseling department. Um, we are adding something which I borrowed um, called uh, College Ambassadors. So we are asking our students in the junior and senior class to be college ambassadors, which they will Um, be trained on taking notes and sharing notes when college representatives come on campus to do Mm. college visits. In the past, that was something that myself or my colleague were doing. We were taking notes and then sending it to the students. And this year, we're going to be training students to do that. So it it, one, I think it will help them, you know, pay attention and really be involved. But B, it's kind of that student to student contact that I think is um, often students want to hear from. Yeah. Um, yeah, I borrowed that. That is not an original. And <laughs> I'm really excited to do that. We're going to have, you know, we've had about um, about a dozen students interested. So it's great. They'll sign up on the calendar when the college representatives sign up. And we're going to take that on. Um, and then how can people get in touch with me? Um, email is the best way. I'm on email all the time. My email is sryan at justin-sienna dot org and you can also just go to the justin sienna website and find my information there i would love to collaborate with all of you share ideas um you know this profession is not a single entity i I think it's a collaboration of all of our resources and 
that's one of the things I look forward to at the NACAC conference is getting something new that I can borrow from. So for everybody who included a session, I'm excited to um, attend and hear what all everyone's doing. Yeah, we are excited too. We'll see you in Seattle in just a couple of weeks. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Yep. Bye. Diggy, as you know, we have collaborated with the folks at Kelmscott EDU to highlight slate print during season two of the LunchCast. Nathan, you are right. And I am so excited to tell our listeners about slate print. Um, also, though, it's Tej. Yeah, that's right. But let's focus on slate print for now, okay? What were you most excited about when you start doing your research on slate print? Well, you know, it really is a revolution in print. First, I really like the automation through slate itself. And I'm excited to try all the things. Personalized postcards, letters, mailers, view books, even admit packs. It's so great that regardless of the project I choose, I can create it all within Slate itself and mail on my schedule. Agreed. I really like that feature as well. And it speaks to the core reason why folks should use Slate Print instead of working outside their CRM. Well, I know we all work hard at those relationships we have with our marketing colleagues. Let's face it, this isn't always easy. Slate Print puts control in the hands of the admissions director, which means a faster delivery date. But Nathan, what if we have marketing folks listening to this and panicking that admissions won't need them any longer? That's a fair point, Diggy, and Slate Print has thought of that. Templates, photos, and branding tools can all be loaded into Slate Print at the beginning of the cycle after approval from marketing, of course. This way, our marketing friends know that whatever mailing is being sent out from admissions, the right styles are being used. But well, you know, that is just so great. And I'm guessing that Slate Print offers competitive pricing? You bet. And you can even pay with Slate credits already built into your Slate instance. It seems like the folks at Kelmscott EDU and Technolutions have thought of it all. I believe they have, Diggy. I believe they have. I'm also sure the folks at Kelmscott EDU would love to chat with any of our listeners. Visit kelmscottedu.com forward slash slate dash print to learn more. That's kelmscottedu.com forward slash slate dash print to learn more. Now, back to the show. It's it's Tej. Well, Tej, I'm really excited to continue our conversation here about the student decision path. And I'm really excited to welcome a good friend, colleague, mentor of mine um, to the LunchCast, Pam Johnson of Pam Johnson Consulting. Pam, welcome to the LunchCast. Uh, thank you, Nathan. Um, I am glad to be with you and and uh, working um, in the enrollment management field. I think that uh, thinking about the way that um, students make a decision is really important to um, both student success and institutional success. So I have been uh, working in enrollment management for more years than I care to admit, but I'm one of those uh, rare people that actually got my start more on the financial aid side of things. And I, um, when I was working in financial aid, I really um, began to understand how complex the path to student success is, uh, especially for first-generation students. But um, in the meantime, I have worked um, mostly at 
small, small to mid-size um, private institutions, moderately selective, um, you know, ju just those kind of places that you have to work with a whole range of students because that's who your, your clientele is. Um, I particularly um, am interested in, in that intersection between affordability and institutional fit. And um, um, I think that that's very important in the last stage of the student decision making as well. Well, I'm really excited to get started in this conversation then and um, appreciate your expertise on this topic for sure. So students focus on you know different things at different times in, in the process and it's a very lengthy process. And the guest earlier on this episode um, explained the process from the college counseling side, from the school counselor side. Okay. So from your perspective as an enrollment management um, professional, just walk us through the process as you've seen it, start to finish, and what what do you think a student is paying attention to along the way? Okay, well, I think that um, uh, it's important to understand that there are uh, phases here, and that um, it's one of the challenges I think for newer admission counselors in particular is to realize that. Um, the same question has different answers depending on where the student is. But let's start with the, the earliest stage, which just for using um, some kind of metaphor, I'm going to call browsing. And it's really when the student is kind of looking around. And for most people, um, that starts, say, toward the end of their sophomore year, um, and more more so in their junior year. And I, I would also note that the stronger students start earlier than the um, more the lesser prepared students. How about that? Um, but in that in that browsing phase, they're they're doing two things. One, they're just kind of understanding what is college, what is this like, and um, and then they're also trying out some um, different ideas of their own future. And that it often starts with, well, I'm interested in engineering or I'm interested in nursing. But um, being 15 years old, that what they th think of themselves in the future may change from week to week and day to day. And um, I think that that's an important thing for admissions counselors to realize is that when they're talking with those younger students, that um, they should assume that most of those um, career ideas are somewhat tentative uh, and not cut off a general conversation too soon. I also think that for um, uh, first-generation students in particular, it's an important time to um, have some idea that college in general is affordable. And it, it may be, it's probably too soon for detailed admission or financial aid and scholarship information, but a general sense that college is expensive and we, the institution, are going to partner with you to figure this out. And I think that that's the most important message at that point is that we will help you do this. And, um, uh, and I think for most students, that's enough. Right, right. Then they don't need to to have too many more details, and in fact, details just are like uh, over their their head. I would call so that browsing phase. Um, it, it used to 
last most of the junior year. I think that as there has been more and more emphasis on um, early uh, application, whether for early decision or because um, a lot of priority deadlines have moved um, ahead of the Christmas holidays, that the, the, the next phase is more of a shopping phase where they're really like, okay, I kind of get what colleges are about perhaps beginning to under, to see themselves either at a smaller place or a bigger place or a faraway place or a closer place, but they, they start getting a little bit more serious. You could call this kind of, you could also call this the long list phase of, of really looking at institutions. And I would say that in this, this sort of middle phase, the, um, there's actually less academic emphasis because they've already said, okay, this institution has what I think I want. And now they're starting to look at other things. So they're looking at um, what I would call fit and feel that does this fit me and how do I feel about it? And so this is when students tend to be looking more at student life kind of questions. Mm -hmm. um, look, you know, they, like on a tour, they kind of look around. Do I see kids like me? Whatever that means. It, it, right. You know, do I, does, could it be pink hair? It could be um, <laughs> racial ethnic stuff. It could be, um, I, I remember one college tour, I talked to my daughter and she said, way too many people wearing skirts. This is not my place. You know, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so this is when, um, from the admission staff, just really listening to the student and trying to, trying to understand how they're defining fit and trying to help them see what that might be, I think is really important. I also think this is the phase where financial stuff is not type of mind for many students. You know that um, they, they they may ask about scholarships and and it's more of a process sort of thing. Like how do I line myself up for this? But it isn't their first their first thought. So hopefully for um, many students by the say the end of the summer between their sophomore or junior and senior years or by um, you know October-ish or so they're they're down to um, really think about where am I going to apply and that's still shopping to some degree but it isn't um, uh, it isn't just randomly clicking on websites or something it's really um, you know a little more focused uh, um, endeavor. Um, and then, and I can also step back that just talk for a minute about the parents role here. And in the, in the browsing phase, the parents may be doing a lot of suggesting. They may be, um, um, kind of casting about themselves or how do you go about making this difficult decision? So some, some of the, browsing thing happens when the parents say, well, I talked to somebody who said that XYZ school has a good business department or something. The student probably shrugs it off, but if they do any, you know, they, they may go right. to, to the next step. But there's, there's, a lot, there's a fair amount of randomness to that. In the shopping phase, I think you, you start seeing the, the parents being, well, you know, what is a good business program? How do you, um, or uh, they, they may be talking more about money, but the, the kids aren't um, um, as much. 
And then, then we get to the last phase of this, which is really the buying phase. And this is where um, I would say the, the shoe kind of turns, because first of all, the uh, institution has to make a decision. You know, do we want this person to buy? Um, <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, as, as most people in enrollment management know, the answer is yes for most places and most students. It isn't. Right, um, right. Um, but some places it isn't. And, and the highly selective or um, what some people are starting to call the highly rejective <laughs> institutions <laughs> don't really start recruiting until they've already made that decision because they don't, they don't want to get people's hopes up and then they don't want to waste their time <laughs> either. So, so in that buying phase, in my um, experience, the student goes back to academics. They started there in terms of program availability. Then they made a lot, a lot of other decisions. But when you're back in that buying phase, they're back. Oh, well, what is it about that business program that I thought was good, or why would it? You know, why is this a good place for me to um, be in an orchestra, or or whatever else it may be? But those those questions kind of um, come back up because they're beginning to be able to actually compare things. And when, when they were first uh, browsing around, they really were just like, you know, what does it even mean to have a, a business program or a music program or something else? Now it's like, okay, here's um, uh, how, uh, here's how they stack up. And um, if I could use a personal example, um, my, our son was interested in engineering and he liked a lot about one school until he actually looked at what the curriculum was like. And he realized he had four electives in four years. And he's like, what? You know, I'm <laughs> like that, you know, I'm interested in engineering, but I'm not. Uh, I'd like to explore some other things. And so that school actually, which was otherwise seemed like a good fit up until that point, is like, no, I don't want to do that. And, and, um, uh, you know, not everybody uh, is going to you know look at all those kinds of things, but it, but I do think that the academic decision becomes more important. And then also in that phase, this is where financial aid really comes up because you've got you know, um, parents um, really groping with this um, you know big ticket cost, and now the kids in love, and it's like oh, you know this. <laughs> You know, what do we do now? Um, and so I, I think that this is, um, um, it's, it's the, the most challenging phase for the um, admissions counselors because they, they find it really easy to talk about, hey, we've got a great um, program or, you know, you would love to um, uh what happens here on Saturday afternoon, you know, whatever else it would be. But when it comes to money, some of, a lot of admissions people don't even like to talk about it. But secondly, um, it, it's very difficult for us to make the, the um, value judgment that the parent, the families are making and primarily the parents, but, you know, is it worth it to us to pay this much? And um, that's, uh, you know, it, it's an argument we have to make all the way along. I, I think that dovetails nicely into the 
final question we have here. Um, I mean, at some point they are going to be making that final decision. Um, you talked about transparency. You talked about um, facts. Um, how, if, if you were counseling a room of admissions counselors right now um, to prepare themselves for this final round, um, what would you say to those admissions counselors um, as the students are heading into their final decision? Um, well, I think first of all, they just they need to um, they need to know what they're talking about. They need to they need to run through some scenarios. I think that's a really good um, staff meeting exercise. Uh, I think they need to um, um, you know understand when to pull out a calculator or something mm -hmm. else, um, and it can be on their phone. Yes, it does. But um, uh, this, um, the other thing I would say is that they don't have to apologize that, that, um, you know, every institution is trying to do the best they can, um, in terms of financial aid. And just the fact that the average discount rate is up over 50% tells you that, you know, we're, we are putting every, everything we can into these numbers. And, um, so, uh, you know, this, um, you know, for some of our staff, this is kind of, this might be adulting 101 or something, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but it's just, it's time to, to talk about it. And, um, uh, I think it's, it's also, it's okay to say to the student, you know, would you like me to, um, uh, would you like to bring your parents into this conversation? Um, I, along the way, especially when I was a financial aid director, I would offer to call the parents. And sometimes um, it really helped. It, it was often to, yes, I really do need your tax return. And I promise not to tell anybody else what it says or something right. like that. Um, but it, but also just that um, it, it's a hard subject for for students. And and I, I think um, in the in the world of first generation students, there's there's a lot of kids trying to do this on their own, and right. um, uh, you know we need to help when we can. Um, I also think that a lot of our community based organizations are pretty good at handling this phase of things. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes that comes with a lot of advocacy. You know, couldn't you do more for the student? This is a you know, and and sometimes we just have to. Well, the, this is this is um, the conversation that we have for in exchange for them really helping the the student and the family understand all this. So, um, but we shouldn't ignore that that they can be a good resource there as well. Well, Pam, uh, I'll go with Teach here. This was a master class on how students make decisions and how admissions counselors can better serve their students. So thank you so much for joining the LunchCast. We always like to ask our guests, what are you working on next? What's exciting for you this fall? And then how can folks get in touch with you if they have any follow-up questions? Okay. Well, I am uh, new to me. I'm working on a um, enrollment marketing uh, project for a school that seems to be doing really well and is just worried that their core market is eroding and thinking about how they reach out to new populations. So I'm excited um, to do that and I'm working with um, a longtime marketing partner on that. Uh, otherwise, I, I'm looking forward to 
maybe um, a year that might be normal or close to it. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I think we're still going to be challenged as an industry of not having great uh, comparable data for the last couple of years. But I, I'm hoping that we were, you know, actually have students visiting on campus and um, some of the other things that, that we know make such a difference in the college decision process. Um, so if anyone would like to get in touch with me, uh, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn or you can contact me at pam.johnson100 at gmail. Um, and I look forward to um, you know, hearing the stories of what is happening at different institutions. Well, thanks so much for, for joining us, Pam, and uh, uh, have a great day. All right, thank you. All right, Tiki, that was, as promised, a really great couple of discussions. Let's talk a little bit about Sonia's interview first. I think she gave a really great overview of how the process is uh, for private students, or excuse me, students at private institutions, private high schools. But I pushed her a little bit on um, public school counselors and how those mm -hmm. students work. And I think she just gave, gave great answers and some great perspective there. What were some of your highlights of Sonia's interview? You know, Sonia was fantastic. I, I, I'm personally a huge fan of Sonia as well, but being able to understand more tangibly about what she's doing and what she's seeing with students and families throughout the cycle is helpful, not just for understanding students at her high school or, or similarly situated schools, but you're able to really think about um, students who don't have access to a counselor in the same way or have more access to mm -hmm. a counselor. Or you can kind of apply some of the perspectives and if you add on or take away some of the things she was talking about get a better sense of what students might be thinking about um i just i, I really enjoyed talking with sonia and then pam i think the word we used in the interview um was master class if we didn't we should that was a master class probably for both of us right on how the students actually make decisions yeah, the, the analogy that she had is so much more um, accessible than the way I, I've thought about it with uh, one of my mentors, Lee Johnson, who always explained they, that students start very objective in their college mm. search. Do you have my major? Are you in a city, town, rural community, etc.? Then it becomes very subjective as they're kind of narrowing down their list. And then it ends again at a very objective site. So I always tell the team, right? When, it, when a student starts asking you how long the bed is in the residence hall, we're in the, <laughs> right. we're in the top two, right? right? It, it's us mm -hmm. or someone else. Um, but the, the way Pam talks about it is really helpful as well. I think it's relatable and it brings in the consumer aspect of what we do, which I think as admissions professionals, especially on the college side, maybe even on the school counselor side, we're, we're hesitant to always use some of those terms like buying, you know, that it's mm -hmm. actually a purchase because um, usually that comes with negative connotations because it's always around the financial aid process or the financial aid time. But I think you have to look about uh, or consider how 
Um, people make decisions when they make a major decision, and especially here it is, there's money involved. Like there it's, it's a purchasing decision. Um, but it's not just about that. Right. And there's, you know, you purchase a house, but the house is a home. So it's not like you're just going out and buying something. It's a major investment, um, and has all of these things wrapped in. And I really, I really appreciated how, um, Pam made that relatable, um, to how maybe either admissions professionals make decisions, um, maybe school counselors uh, listening to this, how they, you know, they can see how students make decisions and how this all goes about. So I would just really, really enjoyed that conversation. And, and, uh, I'm going to continue having that conversation with her after this. I can tell you, I can tell you that for sure. You know, something else I noticed, Nathan, what the uh, audio quality from your recording seemed to shift a little bit. It's almost like you were on vacation sipping Mai Tais in northern Wisconsin as you were doing some of these interviews. First off, who sips Mai Tais in northern Wisconsin? Oh, yeah, that's right. I do. And <laughs> secondly, secondly, actually, I was. So I was not in northern Wisconsin when we did that interview, but uh, I was uh, in Illinois. We spent a lot of time up north this this summer, and it was great. And uh, of course, I forgot my microphone. So you know what? I think that whole thing is a plug for the AirPod. Um, and it was great quality. But yeah, here we are back recording these with the actual microphone. Uh, that's a little bit better quality. But thanks for that. Thanks for exposing me. Wait a minute. We're calling Illinois up north? I can't. I'm not even going to take that bait. All right. Well, that was great. I appreciate that, Tej and uh, Tiggy. This Teej. was season. Oh, you know, you know. Let's barter some more. All right, that was it. Uh, episode number nine. Hopefully, everybody made it to the end. I doubt anybody actually did, but here we are. And uh, looking forward to episode number ten. So, as always, I'm Nathan. I'm Tej, and that was the Lunchcast. Thanks, folks. I'm so oh. excited. <laughs> I, I missed my cue. You totally missed the cue. <laughs> okay, one last time. One last <laughs> time. Ready? Yeah.